This is episode number 75 with Sean Valagura. Welcome to American Snippets, your source for inspirational, motivational, and selfless stories and interviews from exceptional people across the nation. And now, here's your host, Barb Allen and Dave Brown. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of American Snippets. Thank you so much for listening in today. Once again, my name is Dave Brown. I'm here with my partner and co-host, Barbara Allen. And in case you didn't know, if maybe you're a first-time listener, each week we share inspiring stories and interviews from military heroes, influential entrepreneurs, and exceptional Americans who are doing incredible things all across this country. And whether they are celebrities or small-town heroes, each of our guests is a shiny example of the American spirit. Now, before we get on to today's episode, just want to talk about a little little housekeeping. Um, again, Barb and I love the work that we do here at American Snippets. It's our mission to spread positivity, possibility, and patriotism all across this country. And if you believe in this mission, you enjoy our work, and you want to do your part to help us spread this message too, then please tell a friend what we're doing here. Leave us a review on iTunes or on your favorite podcast app and you know share this on social media let us know what you think about the podcast again leaving us a review is huge it really gets us out there in front of more people helps helps us get discovered in iTunes and the other podcast platforms and more importantly it helps support all the guests and the stories that we feature here and the incredible things that they are doing And today's guest is doing some incredible things as well. If you've ever wanted to learn how to start a nonprofit or your own foundation, our guest today really gives us and shares with you some incredible tips that you can use if that's something that you're passionate about and that's something that you want to do. Um, Our guest is Sean Valagura, and he admits he was in really bad shape when he left the military. It took about 15 years for the Navy veteran to begin truly healing from his unseen wounds the way he healed from his physical ones. Uh, He actually tried to end his own life twice before he found his new path and purpose. And today, Sean is the chairman and executive director of Operation Valor, a nonprofit organization serving as a fundraising arm for other 501c3 organizations dedicated to serving our veterans. What started as a small, almost accidental grassroots effort has grown into a national presence that attracts powerful support. Again, in this episode, Sean shares his lessons on establishing and building a successful 501c3 with us and provides helpful advice for anyone else seeking to build and grow their own nonprofit. So without further ado, here is Barbara Allen with Sean Valagura. Hi there. Welcome back to another episode of American Snippets. I am your co-host, Barb Allen. We are here today with Sean Valagura. He is a Navy veteran who has started his own 501c3. We are very excited to talk to him about this 501c3, Operation Valor. And specifically, we're going to take you step-by-step through his process of starting that nonprofit, how he went from his grassroots organization, what inspired him to do so, how he walked it all the way through that 501c3 profit. And in his very first year of being an official 501c3, he's crushing it. So we're going to hit him up for some tips on how to do that, as well as learn his story along the way, all of these extraordinary people that he is in touch with, speaks with, hangs out with, and works with on a day-to-day basis and adds value to his life and right back to theirs. Thank you so much, Sean, for taking the time to be with us today. No, thanks, Barb. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, happy to be here and talk with you today. So we've been operating kind of in the same circle for some time now, and I keep seeing yeah. your name pop up and, and all that. And I'm like, who is this guy? You know, but I'm finally, you know, I'm glad that we finally, I don't know what held me back for so long. Um, well, we're, every, everybody's busy and uh, we all have <laughs> hectic schedules, but it's good to talk to you finally. Yeah, you too. So I hopped on. First off, tell us about what is the name of your, your nonprofit? Operation Valor uh, is the name of our 501c3. Uh, We've been uh, in existence in one form or another for about five years now. We uh, got our official uh, 501c3 designation from the IRS uh, beginning of last year. So, um, yeah, Operation Valor. Nice. And I... I hopped on your website and I read your about section. It is, it's hilarious and it's painful and it's hilarious (laughs) at the same time to read. We're going to get to that in a little bit, but tell us now you started as a grassroots 
kind of operation in 2014. Yeah, I'll give you the kind of the yeah. Cliff Notes version of how this all got started. So back in 2013, uh, right at the end of the year, I got in touch with an old friend of mine who I had been out of touch with for about 15 years. And uh, oddly enough, through social media on Facebook. And we got to talking and, uh, hey, how are your kids? Mm -hmm. Getting caught up uh, on each other's lives. And, uh, of course, we exchanged friend requests. And then every two or three weeks after that, in my Facebook feed, I would see photos of him doing what I learned were uh, these things called obstacle course races. Um, me being a military guy from a military family, that stuff is kind of, it's fun. It looks yeah. cool to me. So I, I reached out to him and, and I said, uh, hey, tell me more about this. He said, oh, well, that's, that's something called a Spartan race that I did in Killington, Vermont a couple weeks ago. And um, we got to talk and he could tell that I was, I was obviously interested. So at the end of the conversation, he said, listen, um, I'm in Dallas, you're in Austin. There's a race, there's a Spartan race coming up in Austin in May. How about if I come down and we run it together? And I said, sure, that sounds great. Um, I, I was a competitive power lifter at the time. So I kind of put down the heavy weights and started doing a little bit more cardio to get ready and uh, went out there and had an absolute amazing time. Um, the, the physical fitness piece of it um, is certainly the surface layer, but the thing that really got me hooked um, was the community. Yeah. Um, there's, an, there's an instantaneous camaraderie between the fellow racers that um, I, I played team sports growing up and through college. So it was very unusual for me. It was a dynamic that I'd not uh, interacted with before. And it kind of caught me off guard. And when I got done with the race and I was reflecting on my day, I realized pretty quickly that that was, um, it was a feeling, it was a sensation that I hadn't felt since I was on active duty, that feeling of camaraderie. Yep. Um, and I knew that these were people that I wanted to do more things with. Um, I knew I wanted to be around them more. So um, when I got home, I looked up my next race. And uh, one thing you need to know about these events is that they're never in the actual city where they're where they're advertised to. Yeah, they're set um, outside. Right? Yeah, yeah. So the Austin race isn't ever in Austin. It's about 45 minutes north of here in a small town called Burnett. Well, the next race on the calendar was in Dallas. Well, not exactly in Dallas. It's about an hour and a half southwest of Dallas in a small town called Glenrose. Now in 2014, Glenrose was still pretty famous or infamous, depending on how you want to look at it. So I did a, being a Navy veteran, it set off alarm bells in my head and I went and did a little yeah. bit of searching. There's come a to find familiarity out, about that. Yep. Yeah. Come to find out the venue, the location where Spartan race holds their Dallas event every year is the same exact property where Navy SEAL Chris Kyle and his best friend, Chad Littlefield, were shot and killed in February of 2013. So um, I reached out to the leadership of my team. Um, they're called the Lone Star Spartans. I'm actually now the captain of that team, but I wasn't back in 2013. And let them know. And they met real quick and came back to me and said, listen, um, we know you're a Navy veteran. We know you have connections to that community. Would you mind putting together some type of way to honor and uh, pay respects to Chris and Chad? And that's just, you don't say no to something like no, that. No, so, absolutely not. Yeah. So I, Yeah. In 2014, um, I did a little crappy t-shirt design <laughs> on my Windows computer at home in, in, in Microsoft Paint. <laughs> and we printed up 150 shirts. And I literally sold them out of the trunk of my car at the race. Love it. And we sold, if I remember right, uh, we sold 146 of those. And we made, I want to say, $1,785. And uh, the team chipped in enough money to round it off to an even 2000 And I wrote two $1,000 checks that first year. Oh, that's um, not a bad of, start. But it, it was surprising. something well that, yeah, that you're just doing yourself out yeah. of goodness of your heart, not an organized yeah. faction. That's, a, that's yeah. encouraging. So the, the two yeah. checks, one of the, one of them went to the Chris Call Memorial Fund, which went uh, directly to his widow and children. Uh -huh. And the other one went to Guardian for Heroes, which is the foundation that Chris himself started when he got out of the police. And, and 
that's how it got started. Uh, it was very grassroots. It was it was me and literally one other person. And all we all we really thought to do was let's just design a T-shirt and, and try and raise some funds for some good veteran charities. Okay, so right there, we we're gonna stop along the way and kind of break things down because I want to, as you say sure. things, I hear things that um, that ring a bell, right? That are familiar in a lot of stories, a lot of people trying to get started and don't know. So, and you just touched on it right there, not just for a couple of people trying to get together and do something good. What do you think, like, if your instinct had been to just say, you know what, I don't know what I'm doing. What do you mean start a, you know, help out or whatever? If you had just dismissed it, right? But that didn't even occur to you. You were just like, how did you settle on doing the T-shirts even? How did you just say, okay, we're going to do this and we'll use T-shirts at it? Because to start off, yeah, to start off and make two grand off your first attempt and write those two checks... That's more than a lot. Of, a lot of people talk about it, right? Forever. I'm going to do this. I'm going to help that. Or I would have done this, but I couldn't. But you just jumped in. You did it. You made two grand the first time. Yeah. The, there has to be a fundamental understanding of your market. You've got to know yeah. who you're appealing to. And I knew that um, the OCR crowd, the trail running, um, the endurance type athlete community, I know that t-shirts would appeal to them specifically. And that because of the, the geography and because of the history of that location, I knew that it would appeal to right. those people who we got the message out to. I also knew that obviously, you know, veterans, you know, even guys on active duty, veteran supporters, family members, I knew that this would be something that would uh, would appeal to them as well. So um, it, it seemed a pretty natural choice and uh, to, to go ahead and, uh, and do a simple T-shirt design that first year so so did um, they it, it made sense did you speak with the family of chris kyle first or was that just straight up through representatives of his organization no that's actually the very first thing that i did uh before uh as soon as as soon as the team came back to me and said hey would you mind putting something together the very first thing that i did is i fired off a series of emails uh to uh various members of the kyle family to get in touch with them because i wanted to make sure that I got their blessings before we started to do anything at all. And um, uh, it was very warmly received. And uh, we went ahead and uh, and did those. As a matter of fact, the last, we sold 146 shirts that first year out of yeah. 150. And the last four, I actually sent to, to Jeff Kyle up in Waco. And uh, there's a, there's a, there's a 30 minute nice story behind that as well. But um, yeah, we, we wanted to make sure that we reached out to the families. Um, we tried to reach out to the Littlefield family as well, but yeah. we wouldn't get in touch with them until February of the next year. Yeah, that was going to be my next question because I see that they're now often involved with what you're doing. And Yeah, and as a matter of fact, Chad's older brother, Jerry, sits on our board of directors now. Yeah. Um, but a, a quick little side story about how we got in touch with the Littlefield. Uh, one of my teammates on Lone Star Spartans came to me after that that event, the 2014 event, and said, hey, listen, um, I don't know if you know this, but I went to high school with Chad Littlefield. And I said, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, do you have do you have any connections or do you have any uh, contact with the family? And, and she said, I think so. Let me get back to you. The next day, she put me in touch with Chad's older brother, and uh, we got the ball rolling there. And uh, Jerry has been heavily, heavily involved, uh, as is the entire Littlefield family. Yeah, now, they're great, uh, aren't the they? They're, no, I, I they're so sweet. They're a super sweet family. And I love to see, uh, you know, people like they are, you know, it's tragic and it's terrible and it's painful to lose someone, especially in the way that, that they did lose Chad. And yeah. to see people taking that pain and instead of, you know, miring down and everything that's awful about it, which is readily evident right you don't need to go looking far they instead work hard to find things that uh that that can use on an upswing in, in a positive manner from that and i just admire them so much and i think that's how actually i came to hear about you and your work right. as well so and when you talk about the camaraderie in those races i i have run well, one time one time i did the the 10k in uh dc with the you know with taps and the the military they ran their you know, their marathon, but I just did the 10 K. I am not a runner. I don't like to run unless, you know, I just, <laughs> I, all I can think I, about is, is, is like, why am I running? Right? Like I'm running. I showed up, uh, you know, after kind of partying all night, I was in worse shape than I should have been. And it was very emotional for me. I was still early on in the years after losing my husband. And 
I had never participated in an event like that before. So as I'm jogging, the friend I was jogging with tapped out. She had like a medical issue and she's hanging out with the hot medics and I'm running in this 10K by myself. And I'm emotional and there's people tapping me on my shoulder because I had a picture of my husband on my back of my shirt and it said, I'm running for my husband. And people, I didn't know, I didn't know, they tapped me on my shoulder and they're like, we're running, I'm running for your husband too. I'm running for your husband too. I'm running for your husband too. And when I read your website about how people were, you know, encouraging you and you didn't understand that they were serious and all that, I laughed and then it took me back to that. I mean, there is something so powerful about that. And people you don't know are, are just literally physically reaching out and touching you and saying, I'm running with you, I'm running with you. So I love that you incorporate events like that and allow people to participate and feel that camaraderie. Do you think then, because you you run a lot of events with those like the physical aspects and you allow people to feel that camaraderie, do, do, does that kind of enhance their openness and their willingness to maybe become involved or to oh, give sure. back yeah, and yeah. all that when you feel that sense of unity? Yeah, absolutely. There's there's an amazing dynamic that occurs in these events, and some of it is uh, held within that shared difficulty, and you know maybe even misery is the right yeah. word. I think it you might know, be. I, believe, <laughs> I think it. Believe me, there have been mean, many times out on these courses. Yeah, there have been many times out on these courses where I have been miserable. Yeah. Um, but but there's a bonding. There's there's a camaraderie that's tangible. Um, and through that shared adversity, through that shared misery, there, there's a bond that's created between complete and total strangers that, uh, that is really powerful. It is emotional. Um, when I got done with that first race, um, and I started to reflect on everything that had gone on that, that first day I was expecting, you know, I'm going to run about nine, nine and a half miles and I'm going to do 20, 25 obstacles. Um, this will be an easy day. And. Um, after I got done and I had broken bones in both feet and a couple torn muscles and I started to reflect on all the support and all the people who helped me through that day. It was very emotional for me. It really was. Yeah. And so much so that you carry that into your five, one C three. So you started with that grassroots effort and you continued just working on that. And then what did you kind of get involved with that? community over the next couple of years and like when how did the idea come to fruition that hey you know what this is more than a grassroots we're going to go from our grassroots it's time to change this to an official 501c3 to be perfectly honest at the end of that first year we thought we were done um we had pretty much you know said okay we did a good deed we we did some good to help we checked the box and and we kind of moved on Um, but as I alluded to a a few minutes ago, um, I sent those last four shirts up to Jeff Kyle, who lives in Waco and, and I had pretty much, you know, you know, closed the book. Well, a couple weeks later, I come home from work one afternoon and my Facebook feed is absolutely exploded. And I've got about 280, 290 private messages from complete strangers. Well, Jeff had taken the shirts, put them on and taken a couple photos and posted them and tagged me. And this flood of people came out and said, man, this is great. We love this. How can I get my hands on one of these? And it was in that moment that we realized that maybe we had touched a nerve. Maybe we had plugged into something that we can utilize to help the veteran community uh, as a whole. So we, we decided then and there that, okay, let's go ahead and do this in 2015 again, and let's see if we can't grow this a little bit. So little by little, it's grown and become larger and larger to, to now becoming the size that it is now where we've got, you know, four major events every year. Yeah. So then you decided it's time to do the 501c3. What are the first, for somebody that may be doing this, right, that may be doing something on the side, kind of like a side gig every now and then they donate or they give or they participate and they say, Hey, I think I want to take this to the next level. I think I want to incorporate as that 501 C three. What are the first few things that somebody needs to a, to consider? And then, well, let's start there. What's the first thing people need to consider before taking that leap? Number one, make sure that you understand um, the time involvement that you're getting yourself into. Um, this has become a, a full-time job for me in addition to my regular to job. To your regular job, yeah. Um, yeah, so um, 
it does take a lot of time. It does take a lot of work. There is going to be a lot of paperwork. There are a lot of very unglamorous aspects to running a 501c3, and, and a lot of those are just in the process of getting things set up. So make sure that you understand that you've got enough free time um, to be able to devote to them. A lot of people that I've run into have got the passion uh, and they definitely want to do for whatever their particular cause is. Right. They definitely want to help and they want to do uh, something to help that cause, but they don't necessarily have a whole lot of uh, spare time to be able to devote. If you want to, if you want to truly, you know, set up your own 501c3 and make an impact in the community, that's fantastic. Just make sure that you've got time to devote to that. Um, the second thing I would say is seek out some kind of professional advice. Um, we, uh, early on there, we reached out to a professional firm that specializes in 501c3, um, uh, formation and had them guide us through the process, which made things a lot easier for us. So, um, being completely new to the, to the, the charity space, yeah. uh, from the business side of it, I had no idea you know, where to even get started. What, it, what was the first step? Just, you know, tell me what the first step is. Yeah, um, that's exactly just, it. Yeah. And, and having some professional guidance there was invaluable to us. It made the process much easier, uh, much more clear uh, and able. We were able to navigate that process in about nine to 12 months from start to finish. And when you say we, who is we? Well, the, my entire organization. At that point, you know, we had grown to about 15, 17 people. Okay. So, you know, we have all volunteers, but um, including including my board, uh, we had a set of uh, static volunteers. So about we had 17 people at the time of formation. That's awesome that you can get that. You know, 17 doesn't necessarily sound like a big number until you're in the position <laughs> of trying to recruit, you know, even just a handful of people who are dedicated and committed and saying, yes, I'm going to donate my free time and my expertise and my effort to that. When you put it in that in that light, 17 is a lot to get right off the bat. Uh, yeah, um, we've been fortunate um, because of the other organizations and, and the other communities that I that I work in. Um, I was able to, to tell people and kind of spread the message about what Operation Valor is and what we're trying to accomplish. And and that rung true to, to quite a few people. So and um, speaking of we, that, I think I think I neglected to ask you earlier on. Talk about what is your your specific organization's mission? Right. So we operate slightly different than most charities. Um, we are primarily a fundraising arm for other 501c3 charities. So kind of in the spirit of that first year where we raised some money for the Chris Kyle Memorial Fund and for Guardian for Heroes, we've continued that same um, operating mechanic since then. So in our Q1 uh, board meeting, I'll sit down with my board of directors and we'll go through somewhere between 50 and 75 um, other 501c3 veteran focused charities. And we'll select a handful to be our beneficiaries for the year. So all of the events that we do, we will then pool all of those net funds and then we will divvy them up uh, equally between uh, those different beneficiaries. So to give you an example, um, for 2018, uh, the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation, Lone Survivor Foundation, the Navy SEAL Foundation, 31 Heroes, uh, Operation Enduring Warrior, and the Raider Project, and Combat Wounded Coalition were our beneficiaries for 2018. So how do those organizations come to the attention of the board? Are they things that you all hear about? Do people nominate them? If I say have a smaller, because a lot of those organizations you just mentioned are <coughs> fairly well known, right? Like high profile people involved. So yeah. Say I'm a smaller nonprofit who has started something. A, do I have a shot, you know, at, at getting your oh, attention? And B, how do I go about that? Um, to answer the first question, yes, absolutely. And we, we try to create a blend, a mix yeah. of, like you said, some, you know, obviously NSF is one of the largest in the community, if not the largest. Um, Lone Survivor Foundation, also another very large yeah. uh, charity. Um, but we also try to include uh, some of those smaller uh, charities who are, for lack of a better phrase, flying under the radar of the national media coverage. You know, yeah. They're perhaps not as well known 
you know, nationally outside of some regional pockets. And we, we absolutely do you know, make sure that we include some of those uh, every single year. So, uh, and there's some, to answer the second question, there's several ways. Number one, they can reach out to me directly. Um, and that is, that has absolute, that happens every single year. I'll awesome. get, I'll get an email, I'll get a Facebook message and, and, you know, the executive director of some other organization will reach out and say, hey, we, we heard about your organization, what we do, what you do. Um, we'd be interested in being one of your beneficiaries, one of the steps, and then we'll take them through that. Um, we also do have a nomination process where people, anybody can say, hey, we think this is an organization that's worthy. Um, we'd like to nominate them for your consideration for the next year. And my board and my volunteers also go through a process internally where we go through and we select uh, some organizations for further review that we think would be candidates. Awesome. And I, I love that. I know if you're not involved in the nonprofit community, it may never cross your mind. But the moment that you set foot and you try to tap your toe into that pool of nonprofits, the sharks come. It is a it is a wildly competitive yeah, it really is. platform. It is unbelievable to me how many nonprofits don't want to work together or feel like their success can only come at the expense of somebody else's failure, right? Yeah. So, yeah, that was a hard, yeah, that was a hard lesson for me to learn the first couple of years. Um, and one of the tenets that I've always given to my team um, that we will always abide by is I don't care who gets the credit for whatever success we do achieve over time. The end result is the mission to help veterans. If, if we can help another organization and their mission is to genuinely and sincerely help veterans, I don't care if we get any of the credit at all. I don't care if we get any of the money. Um, the mission is what matters, not the credit. And you're right. It's unfortunate. But uh, in this space, there are some people who don't feel and think that way. Yeah. Um, you know, it takes some time to kind of weed out what I call the bad actors and, and identify them, but um, it also helps us identify who the good players are, who the good apples are, and and we know and we're comfortable in in building and forging stronger and longer lasting relationships with those groups and those people. Yeah, that is super cool. I love seeing organizations like doing the work that you do because it is so difficult to get that nonprofit yeah. to get that funding, and it's a good example as well for people who may say, "Look, I'd." I'd love to get involved. I'd love to do something, but I'm interested in so many things, or maybe I don't necessarily have the mindset or the talent to pursue this one particular thing. You have managed to find a way where you can be a contributing factor and a force, maybe more than if you had selected your very own, like say, you know, I'm going to raise service dogs, you know, you, you spread out and your ripple effect is felt far you know across the veteran community because you impact so many different organizations who accomplish so many yeah and that's things. by that that was by design that was intentional when when we first started out on this this path and we knew that we wanted to create you know a formal 501c3 um, we started doing a little bit of research and we found that at that point in time which uh, we started that process back in 2016 uh, the IRS had already identified over 46,000 veteran-specific right? nonprofit organizations. And we were like, okay, what can we bring that's new that yeah. can help us? Um, we don't have any specific charity knowledge or experience. And it looks like pretty much every small subcategory and caveat of the veteran space is already covered by somebody who's got, you know, years and years of experience. So what can we add? What can we do to help um, the veteran community. And it made sense for us. It's like, well, we have, we have some cross leverage with the fitness community, with the OCR community, with the running community, where we can tie those two groups together and help elevate these other organizations so that they get a little bit more recognition. They get a little bit more prominence. And of course, we, you know, we raise a little bit of money. for them. Yeah. Awesome. So what was the first event you did as a 501c3? Uh, it was the Kyle Littlefield Memorial Run. Um, it's that same event uh, back in 2016 there in Glen Rose, out at Rough Creek Lodge. Um, 
the Littlefield family um, comes out every year, and uh, we, we do. Obviously, there's the, the, the big main event, uh, which we now call the Fallen Heroes Memorial Run, um, which is the, the Spartan Beast event that Saturday, which is typically, uh, I want to say, 12 to 14 miles, give or take, and about 35 obstacles. Um, there are also several other events that uh, that are involved in that weekend as well. Uh, the 12-hour hurricane heat has now kind of become the secret event within the event, and we do a lot of uh, special things there. Um, this year, I had Jerry Littlefield come out and speak to the finishers. Uh, Spartan Race CEO Joe DeSena came out and he spoke. Um, we do a little ceremony there uh, to pay respects uh, to Chris and Chad. Uh, they're physically on the exact spots where they were uh, where they were killed in 2013. Okay, so um, so from so say your very first event that you did right first, right. how did that was a run? You you said that was a run, right? Okay, yeah, that so was how, the Chris Kyle Memorial Run back so, in 2014. So how how did that go? Because I'm trying to I'm trying to take people through. Okay, now we've found a professional to help us to guide us to get our board together to do this or that. Let's look at your first event, right? Like how to get started. Um, so talk a little bit about how you got that first event going and maybe something that went wrong that you didn't anticipate and something that went better than you anticipated. Okay, sure. Um, making sure that you've got people who are experts in the field who have experience doing, yeah. doing whatever the event is going to be. Um, that's critical to your, to your short-term and of course your long-term success. Um, those first events uh, for us were very rough around the edges because we were amateurs. We didn't really know what we were doing. We know what we wanted to accomplish. We just didn't know how to get from A to B, uh, in a straight line. So, um, we, we had to take a bunch of detours and we made a bunch of mistakes, uh, things that we could have done better. Um, but um, that's that one event. We've done that same event every single year since 2014, and it's gotten bigger and better. And you know, you, you learn from those mistakes. You know. So the, what is one logistics. thing that? Yeah, what's something that happened at that first event? Like looking back now, and you're looking at that first event, and you're like, "Whoa, look how different this is." Um. Wow, that's a good question. Um. What would be probably the, the top thing is media exposure. Um, I don't want to call it advertising because it's, you know, you have, we've to, never, you have to promote, you have to promote. These you, you've, you've got to, you've got to promote and how to promote to your demographic. That's something that we've had to learn through trial and error. And at times it's been painful um, avenues that we thought would be good for us uh, that, that would, uh, get our message and get our events in front of a lot of people maybe didn't work it very well. And then other areas that we you know weren't paying a lot of attention to actually did. So um, promotion and advertising for lack of a better word um, are absolutely critical. Um, it doesn't really matter how good of a job you're doing and how noble your cause is if people don't know that it's even happening. So exactly. um, it, it, and I would stress you know, for those folks who are, who are thinking about going down a similar pathway, uh, start local. Um, begin small with a, a very tight-knit group in a specific area and then grow outward geographically from that. Um, we started this event in Glenrose, grew it out to Dallas-Fort Worth. Now, you know, the state of Texas and, you know, the past couple of years, it's, it's been a national level event. So, um, but you've got to, you've got to have a base of success to build yeah. upon. Um, there have been other events where we've tried the opposite approach where we thought we had enough critical mass to start a new event and spread it out nationally to begin with and just hit a home run right off the bat. And those events didn't go as well. So that, that's the, that's one of the cases where, you know, we, we learned our, we learned our lesson and had to take our medicine. But, oh, that um, stinks, man. When you put all that work in and it, <laughs> that's a, that's a tough one, right? When no, you, you, you learn from your mistakes though. It's, yeah. Yeah, you do. Some of them hurt a little more than others. So what is one PR platform that has worked for you for Operation Valor? Well, for us and probably a, a lot of your listeners, social media yeah. is, has been invaluable to us. Uh, Facebook specifically, Instagram to a lesser extent, but still very important. Um, 
it's it's a platform where you can reach a lot of people instantaneously, get your message across, um, get your information out to them um, for what what can be completely free or at least very reasonable rates. You know, if you want to pay for their paid advertising. So <clears throat> social media by far. Yeah. Um, e- email, you know, email lists are a little bit, you know, antiquated now and perhaps not don't have as much traction, um, but they're still valuable tools. Um, there's still a large number of, of our followers, of, of people who uh, who are our long term supporters, you know, who still it's their number one means of contact with us. So um, social media is yeah. number one far and away. So would you recommend then? investing in a social media manager for somebody uh, if you don't if you're not well versed yourself on how to make the most out of out of those Facebook and Instagram platforms yes absolutely um, I, I happen to get really really lucky and that my fiance is a social media guru so boom I, yeah, so is mine. And I, so, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I, I got a lot of benefit from that. Say? Yeah, me yeah. too. <laughs> um, but if you, if you're not that fortunate, then yes, absolutely. Yeah. Get, get a professional in. Um, and it may be that you're going to have to, to spend a little bit of money out of pocket to kind of get the ball rolling. Um, but that expertise and the knowledge that they can, they can teach you, uh, will be invaluable and it'll pay dividends every single week, every single month yep. for years and years and years. Yep. I'm glad to hear you say that. A lot of people can get frustrated and say, look, I don't have the money. I'm just going to try this myself. And it's really hard to look around your world and say, well, look, I spent you know, $200 going out to dinner last month. Maybe I don't go out to dinner. I take that 200 bucks and I pay a social media manager to, to kind of promote this event or get me out there. And if you're serious about growing, spreading your word and growing your network and gaining credibility, it's like you got to invest in it. You have to time, yeah, you, money, resources. It all comes in, comes into play and getting that professional involved who knows how to help you get the word out is. And I would say important. do it sooner rather than later. Yeah. Um, don't wait. If you know that this is something that you, you want to do professionally um, operating in uh, the 501 C3 charity space, do it now. Don't wait. Go ahead and take the plunge. It's not going to cost you a whole lot of time or money. Um, it'll probably cost you a little, um, but it, it's better to get you started off, you know, feet on the ground early, running at full speed. Then, you know, for us, it took me a while to get get acclimated and get coached up on social media and how powerful it really could be. Yeah. So we we spent probably two and a half years where we were horribly underutilizing our platforms. And it wasn't until I met my now fiance and she kind of showed me the light that, uh, that it's really exploded for us. Night and day, night and day. So from your first event, started off a little slow. You had, but well, you did well, but not where you are today. And now today, like you have events where you have celebrities and huge CEOs show up at your event. How, what is something you can think of that played a role in getting these high pro? Because it is important to include everyday Americans and people struggling, right? But the reality sure, is you need the names, you need the exposures, you need the influencers to come and to attend and support, or you're not, you're just going to be another fish in that giant sea, right? So how do you get those big players to become involved in your organization? It's, it, I'll be honest, it takes a lot of, a lot of legwork. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of time and effort that's spent into growing your network organically, um, you, one of the rules that I, I, I tell all of my, my volunteers at their orientation is you don't know who's going to say no, and you don't know who's going to say yes. Um, there've been more instances than I can, I can count on my fingers and toes where somebody who I thought they were just an absolute slam dunk and would love to be involved with us, you know, respectfully said, thanks, but mm-hmm. you know, no, thanks. And the flip side of that coin is also true. There have been some people that I've reached out to just on a complete flyer, you know, in, uh, hoping uh, on a wing and a prayer um, who said, yes, absolutely. I'd love to get involved. So don't, don't assume that you know who is going to say yes, and who's going to say no, because you don't know until you ask. Yeah. And that necessitates a whole lot of hard work 
there's going to be a lot of emails, a lot of messages, you know, a lot of letter writing, a lot of phone calls, a lot of no's. And, <laughs> and there's, believe me, you better get used yeah. to the concept of people <laughs> saying no. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's another thing that I tell my volunteers yeah. that you're going to get, there's going to be a lot of no's. Don't take it personally. That's okay. Um, our cause isn't necessarily going to be everybody else's cause. So, um, but yeah, the, the thing about being able to bring in those celebrities is that it's going to take time to build your network. Um, you're going to have to reach out to people. And then once you start to build your network, you have to base that on a foundation of, uh, events and solid physical accountability. Mm -hmm. um, you've got to prove to the people that number one, you're doing what you say you're doing. And number two, you have to show them a track record of success uh, in your operations. Um, when you start to do that, and as you continue to build your network, you'll see that the two feed off of each other. Um, the last two years for us have seen some really explosive growth in both of those areas. Mm -hmm because we, we really tried to put a lot of effort into those. Um, so you're going to have to do your legwork. You're going to have to make a bunch of phone calls. Um, and you're also going to have to put on some events and show people that you're, you're sincere and you're real in, in what you're trying to accomplish. Yep. Excellent. Excellent advice. Thank you so much for all of that. Um, is there anything you have going on or had going on or anything in particular you'd like to, to share or speak about? So right now, our schedule for 2019 um, is going to mimic very similarly uh, our 2018 schedule. We do three primary events during the year, uh, one at the end of uh, May to honor and pay tribute to the guys lost in Operation Red Wings. Uh, Lone Survivor Foundation naturally is one of our, our big beneficiaries for that. Uh, we then do another event at the beginning of August to, to honor and pay tribute to the guys lost on Extortion 1-7. Um, another tragic Navy SEAL uh, event um, that uh, has kind of fallen uh, underneath the radar a little bit. Uh, not as much public recognition for that, even though there were 31 special operators who were lost that day. Uh, and then, of course, we do our event at the end of October to honor and pay tribute to, uh, to Chris Kyle and Chad Littlefield. And we've got a few new events that we're, we're working on in the kitchen right now. Uh, to come up with for 2019 that uh, that I don't want to leak out just yet, but uh, take a keep uh, keep a good eye on the Facebook page and on Instagram, and uh, we should have some very very interesting and exciting news uh, here come the turn of the year. Awesome! So that's just on Facebook, your Operation Valor, and on Instagram, right. yeah, right. Operation Valor, and your website uh, www.opvalor.org. O p v a l o r Awesome. And I can tell you if you, you know, from experience, if you reach out directly, he does get back to you. That's how we finally linked up and got in touch. And it is so, it's so great when people take the time to actually personally man their social media as well. You know, you can get that professional, you need that professional, but you also need to keep a heavy hand and a personal involvement yourself or it's insincere. It's not, it's not real. All right. So last couple of questions. We talk a lot here at American Snippets about the American dream. We don't believe it is a cliche. We don't believe it's dead, that this country is doomed the way that so much of the, the media likes to put out there, all these terrible things happening in our country and, and all that. We very strongly believe in the American dream. We're pushing it ourselves and we're helping others get there. And we're learning from people just like you who are finding your own American dream through your own outlets. So when I ask you about the American dream, what does, what does that actually call to mind to you? What does that mean to you? Well, I was, I was raised um, in a military house. Uh, my dad was a career air force officer. Um, two of my, three of my four uncles uh, served in Vietnam. So wow. uh, there's, there's always been a, a context of, of military service of giving back to your country um, so that's always, that's always been, you know, forefront in, in my mind and in my development, it's always been, um, part of, I felt it was part of my duty to, to try and give back as best I could, uh, to my country, to my nation, to my fellow citizens. So when we talk about the American dream, I think service and giving back is a large piece of that, that you may get lost from time to time in the narrative. Um, but in a larger scope, we talk about success. The American dream is success. 
and everybody defines that a little bit differently. Um, certainly, you know, in, in media, it generally gets portrayed as financial success. Um, but there's a lot of different areas, a lot of other areas that are perhaps, in my opinion, would be even more fulfilling. Um, for me, Operation Valor has been my personal success. It's, yeah. it's been my way to cope with my PTSD issues when I came back. Um, it's been a way for me to help other veterans. Um, that's the American dream to me is how, what makes you happy at the end of the day? Uh, what centers your soul and your spirit um, so that you can be calm and, and you're happy with where you're at in life? Um, it doesn't have to be about dollars. Um, it doesn't have to be about military, uh, monetary uh, possessions. Um, it has to do more for me with how do you feel when you go to bed at night? Or are you happy with your place in the universe? Are you happy with your, your place with, with your country and, and with your God? Um, those to me uh, are much more the American dream than just a bunch of possessions. Awesome. Awesome. And so you touch on something and I know we're running out of time, but now I want to get it in quickly because you mentioned your Operation Valor was not only a way to reach out and help others, but you found that it helped you as well. Can you talk about that for a second? Like, are, you know, are you sure. open to sharing? You said you had struggled with PTSD when you came back and that this was a good outlet for you. Yeah, I, I was involved in an incident um, during my second uh, med cruise when I was on the, the John F. Kennedy, and uh, I got hurt pretty badly um, out on shore, and uh, I went through a bunch of rehabilitation, um, two different suicide attempts. Wow. Um, I, I was in, I, when I got out of the Navy, I was in really bad shape and, and was that way for about 15 years. Um, I struggled quite a bit on a daily basis with my own demons. And um, when this strange, weird, crazy sequence of events coalesced together to kind of put this, this idea and concept in front of me, um, it was my way to give back to the community that literally had saved my life. Um, and in doing that, it made me at peace. Uh, it made me feel like maybe I was able to repay some of the debt that I owed them. So, um, yeah, it, it really has been uh, my therapy um, over the last five years. Um, I didn't know that it would be that when we started. It just it felt like a good thing to do. Um, it felt like uh, it felt right you know, for lack of a better word or yeah. phrase. It, it just it felt good. It felt pure. And it's developed and kind of grown. And yeah, I mean, there's, there's a therapeutic piece to this for me. There's no doubt. Um, I love uh, that. I love that. So do you think that that is a potential avenue for other people who are struggling with their own kind of trauma in their life to, to look outward of your own existence and look into what you still have to offer to others? No, I, I think it absolutely does. And uh, I know quite a few different uh, individuals. I won't name them. Yeah. I'm not going to call anybody out, but <laughs> I've got a lot of friends who are in, in the community um, and operate in that same mode um, where their particular 501c3 or their efforts in the veteran community are their form of, of therapy. And I, I think it's especially important for us as veterans because our service to the country, our service when we were on active duty, um, lends itself later in life um, to that mode of service back to the community and to, to, to the organizations that support our veterans. Um, a lot of guys, a lot of friends of mine, when they got off active duty, they felt lost. Yeah. Um, they had given so many years and they had been in, in this um, hierarchical structure for so long um, that when that, that was removed from their life, they were lost. Well, this provides, you know, and I'm not saying Operation Valor specifically, right. just, you know, veteran-focused charities in general provide that structure and provide that connection to their fellow veterans that a lot of us really need, uh, that a lot of us thrive on. And you become, so, yeah, you yeah. depend on to, to get through. That's an yeah, awesome, awesome point. Um, thank you for, for bringing that up. 
and for mentioning that. That is a whole other area. Maybe we have you back on one time if you're willing, and we talk about that specifically. I think those are important lessons. You know, I am a member of the military community in that I lost my husband in Iraq, so I know so many other mostly women, you know, who lost their spouses or fiancés in our, in combat, you know, moms and dads and brothers and sisters. And I think that is such an important, important tenet to hang on to, the fact that once you get to the place where you're able to look outward from your own pain and look around and recognize the rest of the world, there's such a power in that. So I'd absolutely love to have you back on one day to talk about that. I get, I love those conversations. Uh, last question. We'll wrap this up. If there is somebody that I could call up right now and send over to your house to spend the rest of the day with you and hang out and learn from and chat with somebody you've never met before, who would that be? Wow. That's a, just that a fun a, one. <laughs> that's, that's a really good question. Um, yeah. General Stanley McChrystal. Nobody's ever said him before. That's a good one. Um, well, he and I actually recently connected on LinkedIn of all places. And That's cool. it's, kind of, it, it's kind of prompted me to, to go through and start, you know, reading some of the things that he's written, some of, you know, some of the literature. And um, I love his leadership style. Uh, I, I like the way uh, his aggressive stance on we, we don't necessarily agree on every issue, political or otherwise, but but I like his, his take charge stance uh, of getting things done. So, um, yeah, that would probably be the, the first person that jumps out into my mind. And there's a bunch. Yeah. Um, but but uh, General McChrystal would probably be the first one. Awesome. Well, we'll tag him in all of this and see what we can do to make that happen. <laughs> Sean, thank you. Thank you so much for your service, both in uniform, out of uniform, for taking the time to speak with us today, trusting us with your story. We are super excited to get this out there with our community and know that many of them will rally around you as well. Thank you, Barb. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Sure. Thank you. All right. That brings another amazing episode to a close. I want to personally thank you for listening in today and also would like to thank Sean Valagura for being our guest and sharing his story on Operation Valor. If you got some value out of today's episode, you love the info that Sean provided on how to start uh, and run your own nonprofit, then let us know what you thought. Um, leave us a review, subscribe on iTunes, tell a friend, tag us on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at American Snippets. Don't forget to check out the full article we did on Sean and his story. You can actually watch the video uh, interview as well. You can find that at americansnippets.com. It's the featured episode of the week. Again, we appreciate you being here today. And don't forget, we share these featured stories with you, not only to inspire you, but to propel you into action in your own life. Now go out there and show the world how exceptional you truly are. We'll see you next week.